Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand as our campuses join us over in Appleton and Stevens Point this morning. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us. Hope that you've been having a fabulous holiday season. Um, our accounting department wants me to make one more announcement, <laughs> that if you want credit for this year's giving, make sure you get it in this year. <laughs> Just a little few more days left. All right. Uh, this morning, reading from Paul's epistle to the uh, Roman church, epistles of fancy word for a letter. It's just a letter that he wrote to the Roman church. And he writes these words. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God. The gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus is extraordinarily powerful, though incredibly Simple. In its simplicity, sometimes we think, well, maybe it's not as powerful as we think, but it's, it's a life changer. It changes people's lives. It brings salvation, blessing, connection with God, just from the simplest of messages. And when I was thinking about simple things that have great power, I thought of the analogy of viruses, bugs, viruses. They're nasty little creatures. They're quiet. They're invisible. They easily move from one person to another. You don't even know they're there. But when it comes to inflicting great misery on people, bugs can be rather effective. This morning, I want to give you a message entitled, Spread the Bug. <clears throat> Although it's not the bad bug. Uh, one of the greatest bugs that was incredibly powerful in bringing death and misery into people's lives. Oftentimes people think of the, you know, the Black Plague or something like that. Actually, something really much more recent than that, uh, not quite uh, 100 years ago, back in 1918, just a few years after Pastor, Pastor Lathan was born. <laughs> a few years. 1918, uh, there was a flu pandemic that hit the world. It started in January of 1918 and ended in December of 1923, full years. It was an unusually deadly influenza pandemic, the flu pandemic of 1918. Most of us don't ever hear of these things, but uh, it's amazing. It, it infected 500 million people across the world, and even some of the most remote places. Uh, Pacific Islands, even up into the Arctic, it was affecting. And 
killing people. It resulted in the death of about 100 million people. Now that's stunning. That was like 5% of the world's population. Makes it one of the deadliest natural disasters in human history. Now generally speaking, things like flu are uh, very threatening to people who are very young or very old, who have weakened immune systems because of sickness or whatever. But what made the pandemic of 1918 so unusual is that this flu killed predominantly young adults. Young, healthy people are the ones that were dropping like flies. The pandemic's been described as the greatest medical holocaust in history and may have killed more people than even the Black Plague. It is said that this flu killed more people in 24 weeks than AIDS has killed in 24 years. And it killed more people in a year than the Black Plague did in a century. A hundred million people, not sick, dead. It ravaged the world. Uh, if you're really curious, you can Google this and just look at some of the pictures of back then. Everybody was walking around wearing things over their faces, trying to keep themselves from the flu. I saw a picture online. I tried to download it. I couldn't get it to work, so. <laughs> but a picture of a wedding. Everybody in the wedding is wearing surgical masks, including the bride and the groom. I mean, it was everywhere. Police everywhere. It was. Can you imagine on your block People all up and down your block dying from the flu, and it was brutal. You'd get it like today, and in as little as tomorrow or the day after, you were gone. It was stunning. It ravaged throughout the world for three years, and then just stopped. And they don't know why it stopped. It just stopped, very different than a lot of the diseases that mankind were fighting, you know, polio and some of these uh, diseases that people get uh, immunized or got immunized and were able to wipe it out. I know a lot of people aren't hip to the immunization, but boy, if these diseases come back, you'll be unhipped very quickly. These were extremely damaging things. But this particular disease, this plague, there was no medical breakthrough. There was no cure. There was no solution. It just stopped. And for those of you not quite as old as Pastor Lathan, who, <laughs> it's like two years older than me or something, but uh, um, who, you know, you see in the, in the news whenever there's a flu going around and they get all freaked out. You know, uh, the bird flu, the swine flu, what is this? Uh, you know, eight people died in Asia, you know, six died in, in you know, Europe. They're, just, they're all just free. The reason they report on these things is because the nations of the world still fear greatly that this flu will come back because there was nothing that stopped it. To this day, they still examine human tissue of those who died in that pandemic, looking at the disease, trying to understand this thing. That's why they're always trying to get people to get immunized. But even then, 
Who knows what kind of flu strain is out there at any given time. It's what has the world on edge every time there's a breakout. They think it was very much related to the bird flu or the uh, swine flu. That's why you hear those words go flying around. But this was one creepy, icky thing that to this day, the world is still on edge. It was incredibly deadly. But there's all kinds of things that are very deadly and damaging. And that's the thing about a virus. It is so small, but yet so powerful. The analogy to the gospel is quite stunning. Because you see, these viruses are passed not because that you're smart or what you think or how you feel or what you look like. They're just passed from one person to the other. It has absolutely nothing to do with you except that you passed it on to someone else. Why, let's talk about bugs because of the analogy of how we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as we enter this new year, I want to challenge all of us to be more intentional about eternity. If you're the kind of person, and there's lots of them, I'd say the vast majority, even Christians, who every day to you, you get up, you do your thing, you worry about this, that, and the other, everything about this life, and you virtually never think about eternity, that is a bad place to be. You should ponder this virtually every day. What we are experiencing in this life is extraordinarily short. We are just passing through. What happens in the next life that is what matters. Only a fool ignores the inevitable. It's like the high school student who hears there's going to be a test on Friday. Well, on Monday, he's convinced he has plenty of time. On Tuesday, he's comforted in the fact that today is just Tuesday. Wednesday, he gets distracted with athletics and other school activities that take his attention away. On Friday, he's forgotten that there's a test in the morning. And on, on Thursday, and then on Friday, he fails. Sadly, that's the way a lot of people live their lives. You know, the scriptures are replete with warnings about ignoring the inevitability of eternity. We are warned not to be consumed by everyday life, which is hard because you have to deal with everyday life. You got to do what you got to do. You got to work. You got to pay the bills, all that stuff. But in, even in the midst of that, and Jesus says, look, your heavenly father knows you need these things. But even in the midst of that, don't forget about eternity. We are cautioned not to lay up treasures on earth. Why? If everything that you live for is right here and now and in your pocketbook and in your wallet, you're making a big mistake. We need to lay up treasures. We need to invest and things that are eternal. We are implored, according to the scriptures, to look forward, not backward. We talked a lot about that over the last few weeks, about people who tend to be haunted by their past and always looking back. Gee, if I could have just done that right, if I'd have just been smart, if I would have known Jesus earlier, if I had gotten married differently, if we would have been smarter about this, that, and the other. Don't live that way. One of the ways that you avoid looking back is to ponder eternity. Because eternity will always get you thinking forward. Where am I headed? What am I doing now? That will be with me throughout all eternity. And in the midst of all of this, the scriptures are constantly commanding us in the New Testament 
that we are to share the most powerful and effective message the world has ever known, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the most powerful spiritual virus that has ever been developed. You know, when it comes to the idea of sharing their faith, a lot of Christians just seize up, man. They're afraid. They freak out. They're convinced that their spiritual inadequacies are far too great or their biblical knowledge is much too limited for them to effectively spread the gospel of Jesus. But what they don't understand is the gospel is extremely powerful and it has nothing to do with you. Just like these viruses. The only thing it has to do with you is the fact that you spread it from one person to the other. And the analogy to the gospel could not be more stark. It's exactly the way it works. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter how cute you think you are. Doesn't matter how ignorant you might be of what the Bible even says. The power of just spreading that simple message is what transforms lives. This year, let's be intentional about spreading the bug, the gospel of Jesus. Because a lot of people get so, you know, you know, how do we do it? How do we do it? Let me, let me give you some very simple suggestions if you want to spread the gospel of Jesus. And understand, it's a very simple message that happens. God does it. But you have to connect with people. Just like the viruses. You, it's not about you. It's just the connection. Here's some of the things that you can do that'll help you be more effective this year in touching people's lives around you. Number one, be friendly with people. Be nice with people. If you can't win people to yourself, you can't possibly think you're going to win them to Jesus. You want to convince someone of the way you think? Number one, you got to be their friends. Now, that's a challenge for a lot of people. People pretty much fall into two categories. The people who love having lots of friends and those who dread the very idea. They don't want lots of friends. And it's actually a lot of people, a lot of you listening to me in Stevens Point, Appleton, right here on television. You are the kind of people, we know because we have these tests that we do to see how people are wired. It's a great test, FlagPage, flagpage.com. Take the test, I come out on the screen and talk to you. But it's a, it's a cute little test that really shows you what makes you tick. And one of the things we see overwhelmingly as people is this idea that they don't want a lot of friends. What they want is just a few close friends. Many of you, if I were to ask you, do you have a lot of friends or do you have just a few close friends? Many of you would say, well, I just have a few close friends. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Some people have virtually no friends and they like it. <laughs> they really do. Some wonderful people that go to our church. Their only friend is their spouse. You know, we all say, oh, my spouse is my best friend. Yes, for some people, it's their only friend. It's the only one that'll tolerate them. And they're happy that way. They don't want any friends. Because, not because they're evil. It's because they take friendship so seriously. That's why they just have a few close friends. I use the analogy of these kinds of people. They build an emotional fence around themselves. If you can get over the fence, you are in for life. If you die crawling over the fence, they could care less. Some of them are shooting at people trying to get into the fence. And you take them off and you get kicked out of the fence, lots of luck trying to get back in. Because they take faithfulness, friendship, extremely seriously. It's actually a great trait. And here's the interesting thing that uh, people with limited 
idea of friendship is the truth is, is that even people who like to have lots of friends, people like me, you know, you're all invited to my house afterwards. My wife would kill me. She falls in the other category, all right? Even though guys like me and people like that who are out there and you'd like to have lots of people, the truth is even we just have a few really close friends. The truth is everybody has just a few really close friends intentionally because we like to take friendship very seriously. The people who are much more uh, black and white about it think, well, there's no room for anybody else, you know. When the reality is, there's always room. We all have our little fence that people get in. It's just that friendlier people have, you know, a corral next door where they let all kinds of people in, all right? And a lot of people, nobody else. It's just the close people, nobody else. But if you think that way, you'll never be able to affect the world around you. You can still guard your world, and that's fine, honestly. Again, we all do it. Even the friendliest of people all do the fence thing. But what you want to do is let people close to the fence and not be threatened by who gets into the fence. Some people it really messes with. <laughs> I don't see my daughter here this morning, but she's one of these. <laughs> All the whole time she was growing up, you know, she never had more than one friend intentionally. You got any friends? I have one. How do you punish a child whose greatest joy is to be in a room all by herself? Go to your room. <laughs> People don't believe us, but it's true. We actually got to the point where she'd act up and say, if you don't stop it, we're going to invite all the neighborhood kids to come over and play with you. <laughs> and she'd break out in tears. Like, dee 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 dee. But she, boy, just, Ugh. Again, that's fine. But just realize that you can let people get close to your circle without them invading your space. Uh, and you need to. We're compelled to do it. We need, <laughs> you know, it's really funny about people who are real hardcore this way. They're often very friendly in their smile. And believe it or not, and some of you will know what I'm talking about here, your version of smiling is, I'm fine, back off. <laughs> That's what it is. How you doing? Oh, good. Really good. Bye. See you later. Yeah. Again, I'm not knocking any of it. We are who we are. What I am challenging you, those of you who don't want anyone near your fence, is you'll never really affect people. Look, you can get people close to your fence without always letting them in. And in fact, as people of faith, we're compelled to do this. Just be nice to people. Just be friendly with people. Not everybody is a threat to your circle. So number one, you want to infect the world? You got to be nice to people. You can never win someone to Jesus if you don't win them to yourself first. One of the other things you can do very simply, invite people to church. That kind of happens naturally after step number one. If you're not, if you don't have a step number one, <laughs> you can't invite people because nobody wants to be around you. All right? If you're friendly with people and they, hey, why don't we get together, you know, Sunday morning, ah, I tell you, I got to go to church. Why don't you come with us? And then we'll go afterwards. You know what's a good one? Go to church with me and I'll buy you lunch. <laughs> Highly effective. Why? You get them in a place like this and they get exposed to the gospel. The bug, if you will, splashes on them. 
and it starts to affect them. It's a powerful thing. Paul talks about the gospel as being incredibly powerful. This simple message has transformed the world starting 2,000 years ago, and continues to transform people's lives. Oh, I know a lot of people get hard-hearted and they reject I understand that. But nonetheless, to those who will believe, it is life-changing. And you can't change them if you don't infect them. Again, it's not about you. You don't do it. It's about just sharing the message. Which, number three, learn how to share the message. Now, a lot of people get really, you know overwhelmed by this and I don't know how to do it and one of the Bible verses I need you don't need to know any of that just keep it simple the God, and don't get caught up into religious debates with people that gets you nowhere arguing about you know evolution or this that I mean you know, the people don't grasp all that stuff stupid religious debates you know is, is God big enough that he can make a rock that he can't pick up I mean, just stupid ideas that people roll around in their heads and people debate. Just don't, don't get into religious debates. Look, we all have in the weeds theologies that we can wrestle over, and Christians are famous for that, you know. But that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is pretty simple. You want the gospel? Let me share with you the gospel. This is what it is. God made it. We broke it. Jesus fixed it. That's it. That's the message. Everybody say, God made it. We broke it. Jesus fixed it. These three concepts, there's all kinds of ways you can share it with people. You talk about God made it. We're here on this earth intentionally. We are not a mistake. Don't argue with them about their theory of how the world started. They think the universe started with a big burp. You know, at a minimum, say, well, that, it was God that was belching. All right? We're not here by accident. They want to believe we're here by accident. That you can challenge them on. No, 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 no. This is very intentional. The life that we enjoy, this life comes from God. God made all this. We broke it. Oftentimes people who don't believe in God are very quick to judge God. It's God's fault that everything's so bad. What if there's a God? Why is there such terrible things? I'll tell you why there's such terrible things. Because of us. We tend to do very bad things to each other. People are selfish. People do all kinds of crazy stuff. Now some of them because they're just evil, some because they're just Crazy. You know, like that lady we was reading in the newspaper in Las Vegas was upset, got in her car, and just ran over a whole bunch of people. Yikes. <laughs> Relax. You know, so kill one person. I'm just crazy. People are crazy. What God do? God didn't do that. That lady did that. People are nuts. Our selfishness, our anger, our unforgiveness, our narcissism. That is what has poisoned this world. We broke this thing. But the good news is Jesus fixes it. His life, death, and resurrection makes it possible for us to experience forgiveness. Anybody can grasp that concept. The idea of forgiveness, of a new start, all made possible because of what God did in Jesus. Always remember, it's not your job to convince anybody of anything. It's your job to connect with people so they can catch the bug. Now, not everybody gets it, and not everybody responds right away. <clears throat> Unlike viruses that are pretty predictable, this one's a little unpredictable. Some people, man, they get infected. It takes them years, years before they respond. There's some of you, you said, you've listened to me. You sat in this church every Sunday for years. You still haven't surrendered your heart to the gospel. 
but we're still trusting God will continue to deal with you. I've had people come into my office. Man, tears down their face. What can I do? Man, I, I need to ask Jesus in my life. I said, haven't you been coming here for three years? Yeah. You're just now getting around to this? They go, yeah. I said, okay, let's pray together. I mean, we rejoice at any point. Some people, it's immediate. But again, it's not up to you. What is up to you is you got to connect with people. If you quarantine yourself, you can't infect anybody. And personally speaking, if you do have a real bug, please stay away from me. All right? I don't need your fellowship. I'll pray for you from a distance. <laughs> but if you quarantine yourself from people, you can never bring this message to them. You can't ever affect them. Again, I just think a lot of people stress out about this because they think they got to do something. You don't have to do anything. What you have to do is connect with people and let your light shine, spill onto them the very simple message of Jesus. If they connect with your life, and this is part of your life, they will be exposed to this powerful, life-changing thing. And the other thing you can do is simply to pray for people and let them know you're praying for them. Put God to the test in their life. I'm telling you, it's extremely powerful. Some guy tells you, man, I'm really having a problem with such and such. He says, no, man, I'm going I'm to pray for you. My wife and I are going to pray for you about that. Oh, okay. I mean, nobody ever says that, so they're kind of shocked. And then, is that for me? <laughs> Tell them I'm busy. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, if, uh... <laughs> what was I talking about? Praying for people, yeah. I got an attention span of a fly. <laughs> squirrel, 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 squirrel. What was I talking about? Oh, prayer. So, pray for people and let them know you're praying for people. Somebody says, man, I'm really having a problem. You say, we're going to pray for you. And then that problem starts to change in their life. You have no idea what that is to somebody. They may not even acknowledge that it's you. They might not even acknowledge it's a God. They might tell you, well, it's just a coincidence. But I'm telling you, as that gospel is put in their hearts, it's a powerful thing. And the one thing, if you look historically, <laughs> historically, historically, uh, and through the Bible, you read the book of Acts. One of the ways that the gospel was spread so quickly wasn't just the theology. It wasn't even just the simpleness. God broke it, or God made it, we broke it, and Jesus fixed it. But they would pray for people, and God would start to change circumstances in their lives. That's what set the world on its head. That's how Christianity spread so quickly, was the power of God. Let God loosen people's lives. Let them know you're praying for them. Watch what God will do. It has an incredible impact in people's lives. Now, it's not up to you how they respond. People fall into two categories. They either believe the message or they don't. But it's even hard to tell. Just because someone doesn't respond right away doesn't mean they won't initially respond. Uh, some people are extraordinarily hostile to the message of Jesus. Paul the apostle, originally called Saul, was extremely hostile he was the one who persecuted Christians. He was there at the very first martyr. He liked finding Christians, arresting them, put to death, making their lives misery. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest people and make their lives a living hell. And on his way was converted and changed forever and wound up writing the bulk of the New Testament. Uh, don't think just because someone is hostile up front. Uh, remember, the gospel is very powerful. Someone can shake your hand. You can sneeze on them. They can yell at that sneeze all day long, but unless they wash their hands, <laughs> they're going to get the virus. 
It's a powerful thing, quiet, powerful thing that will infect people. Let's, this year, 2016, let's really be mindful. Let's spread the bug. Let's connect with people. Let them know this simple message. Invite people into your lives. If you do this, I promise, if everybody did it with just one person, this church would double. Stevens Point wouldn't have enough room. Appleton, I don't know what we do. What a gay problem. The reason we don't grow faster is we tend to inoculate ourselves, shield ourselves off like we don't want to infect anybody. Again, when it comes to the gospel, you want to infect people. You need to connect with people. And always remember, it's not up to you. And why should we do this? Because there's a test coming. Eternity is coming. All that's going to matter in the long term is what we do for eternity today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you for the powerful message of forgiveness that we find in Jesus. And what a life changer, what a redeemer you are, O oh God. We thank you for that. We pray that you'll help our people, Lord, listening to me in our congregation, that you would fill them with the boldness and the confidence to just connect, reach out and touch people's lives. Lord, put them at ease. It isn't about them. They don't do it. You do it. God, do your great work. But Lord, we have to connect with people or the message can't spread. Help us to be connectors this year for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Have a great day.